0: Welcome to the Alphalist podcast. I am your host, Toby. Alphalist is a closed community with over 400 CTOs who share their knowledge and experience in a Slack space and at events. With this podcast, we want to give our members and interested parties insights into the thoughts and ideas of top CTOs. If you're interested in becoming a member of the community, please visit alphalist.com to find out more on how to apply. Thanks a lot to our sponsor, the About You Cloud. The About You Cloud offers a full stack e-commerce solution as a service that runs on exactly the same infrastructure as the About You shop does. It is mobile-first, can act as a headless system, event-driven, can be fully localized and is super integrated into existing solutions. Besides that, it is designed and developed by a really smart CTO and friend of mine, Sebastian Betts. About You has set up a task force for retailers and brands that want to be quick in the COVID situation. This task force will help you with the launch of your shop, as well as with fulfillment, marketing, support and internationalization. Simply write to hello at about to be supported by this task force. Welcome to the AlphaList Podcast. I am your host Toby and I recently thought, well, I need to get some more guests from Germany and Europe. Luckily I stumbled into Frank the CEO of Nextcloud um and I'm I'm pretty excited about what Nextcloud does I, I didn't know that much about it so Frank maybe you can introduce yourself first
1: <laughs> Sure sure yeah first of all thanks a lot for having me uh now we have an awesome podcast with two german uh, speaking uh like uh, (laughs) broken English, but (laughs) sure sure, sure it will be fun. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, you already introduced me as the CEO and founder of Nextcloud. Of course, um, I did uh, all kinds of things before. So um, I actually got in open source. I'm sure we'll talk about open source a bit um, during this podcast. I got into open source like over 20 years ago where I um contributed to different projects like uh, the KDE desktop or um other projects too. I also founded a few initiatives myself. And and in the professional life I also like worked on sort of different startups and also founded a few of them before. Um, also part in the US. So I had a company in the US. Um, with, uh, us, um, investors, venture capital, um, like involved. Um, but as I mentioned, now I'm doing next cloud and I moved back to Germany. And this is like a boring German company <laughs> without any fancy investors. It's very optimized for sustainability, uh, which means we are it's very important for us to be profitable and we are profitable and be, um, grow organically. And um, yeah, that's what I'm doing at the moment. Okay. Um,
0: focusing on, on sustainability, I'm happy to hear more later on. Um, uh, but maybe maybe digging a bit deeper in your nerd path um, and, and the KDE history. <laughs> so that is really like a, a very, very nerdy thing and a very nerdy fact. What, what did you do there? Did you, did you actively develop a desktop environment or...
1: Uh, i i did all kinds of things i mean at the beginning i i was um i was just a user um so i uh, i I ran like in the middle of the 90s i ran like uh, SuSE linux which came with a KDE desktop and a friend of me of mine uh, very german
0: yeah (laughs) this
1: this, this is so german so german (laughs) i can i can even be more german i can tell you the reason for that because um, the SUSE was very popular in the nineties, including uh, with me, because it had drivers for ISDN uh, cards built in. So this is was the this was the this <laughs> was a nerdy way to go online in but mainly only existed in Germany. So yeah, very nerdy in German. <laughs> yeah. But I, um, I I I got I, I saw that for the first time and I was like wow this is so amazing this is just a super usable uh, Linux desktop which looks as good as Windows ninety five uh, which was the reference at the time <laughs> and uh, but what really blew me away was that um, I, I then learned that this was not done by a company but this was. As an open source project done by just thousands of empl- uh, volunteers from all over the world working together, contributing um, to this code. And basically, together, this community, this open source community built this awesome desktop with these nice applications. And there is no business model. There is no very few personal meetings, no product management, no other management, um, just a, as a very organic community process. And yeah, this really um, impressed me a lot. And then at KDE, I did all kinds of things. I mean, of course, a bit of development, but also a little bit of artwork. I worked on some some uh, web, uh, web applications. I built um, KDE Look and KDE Apps and GNOME Look and a bunch of other websites where basically the community can collaborate on artwork and Applications in a way it was the first app store, way before um, <laughs> before Apple and Microsoft. And then later also did event management and was a board member of the KDE EV for a while, where I was vice president responsible for managing donations and money. So, and it's, stuff. It's, and, so
0: it's very official, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, it's 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 so it actually well, it's it's really weird because we have this fancy title, but I mean. It's not, it, you basically don't manage anything because there are just thousands of volunteers. But um, yeah, <laughs> the, the main job was to to like like man, well, managing incoming donations um, organizing conferences, this kind of things. It was not really like a management position the same way you are managing a company.
0: And um, like now recapulating on that, Um, Like I recently, I think yesterday when we, when we talked first uh, visited the KDE website again, I honestly, I didn't visit it for, for ages. Um, it also, I, I share a bit of history there because I was a KDE user myself and actively installed every alpha version on my working computer, um, not being able to work for days because of that, (laughs) because of downloading (laughs) all the packages and compiling stuff. And then like half of it didn't work. And I had no clue of C++ and so on. So (laughs) it wasn't my most productive time.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was even crazier. I was even crazier. So I had a script on my computer, which every night night, uh, downloaded or did the latest uh, uh, CVS or subversion at a time, uh, check out and compiled everything overnight and then every morning when i looked into my computer i had like the the latest master branch and of course stuff broke all the time so and i was like days where okay i guess i'm not reading emails today because my email client doesn't work so but yeah it was a very enthusiastic time we all were waiting for the big breakthrough for the year of the linux desktop um but yeah
0: yeah it it still takes a while right (laughs) so um yeah. but uh, linux on the desktop is is already there right i mean if you uh, if you count in mobile it is there so um i think yes. that is um a true success story but coming back to the the question i wanted to ask so um i think kde is pretty much not existing anymore right um is that mm, true? That that's,
1: that's no 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 the community is still um this community is still there the product is still there it's still alive I personally think it missed a little bit the opportunity to become like really big and successful. There were some strategic mistakes, in my opinion. But no, it's still um, it's still alive and kicking in in
0: in the niche, of course. I think open source can just work if someone jumps in a dedicated as a dedicated person and builds a company out of that. Um, otherwise, I think it's really hard to maintain something like, like a desktop as a hobby or something like a cloud software as a hobby. Mm. Um, Mm. I think that just doesn't add up. Right. And I think that is what, what also changed in the last years from KDE being a very open community driven project. Um, as a, as a template, we see that this just doesn't add up. Right. Um, it, it's just companies that grow out of open source projects can be successful uh whenever they really are managed properly right and then whenever someone really makes makes a living out of it that's my yeah my my understanding of how the world works would would you say this is true <laughs> or
1: Ah, uh, you're asking the, the big philosophical questions here. Yeah? <laughs> it's good. So, yeah, I mean, for a long time, for like, I don't know, 15 years, I tried to improve the world, change the world with a pure open source um, project like KDE and others, um, without a business model, without paid people and so on. And, um, yeah, it's true. Nowadays, I'm trying the same um with a combination of a company and an open source community. And I think both models has its pros and cons, but I sort of agree with you that um, yeah the the standard self organized community projects they are lacking some 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 things that you that where companies are better with. I mean, for example, just basic marketing, because in, in KDE, I don't know, like ninety-five percent of the volunteers or ninety-nine percent, I don't know, are, are developers uh, writing software, but you don't really have a lot of um, you don't have a lot of marketing volunteers who are really professional, good marketing people. But that's of course needed to. Make your product popular, and then even worse, in other areas, maybe you want to work together um, with companies, or maybe you want to convince—I don't know—maybe you want to convince Dell to ship KDE uh, uh, together with a Linux distribution on on some of their laptops. Right? You need to have a a serious business meeting to do this kind of partnership, and that's something the community is really, really struggling with. And, and, and other things, product management. Right? In a way, the volunteer community, this is just creative chaos. Like everybody does what they want, and at the end there is a good there is a good product, but I'm I'm sometimes I don't know. I'm <laughs> I'm sometimes irritated about the, the priorities because I don't know, some developers just have fun with refactoring some backend component which is doesn't change anything because they're motivated by fun, but it just they like to do that. And then there are some obvious things where every end user is complaining that somebody's working, uh, not working, or missing, but no one is interested in fixing that. So sometimes it's it's some product management is um, is is a good thing. And that sorry for talking talking too long, but maybe even more important than product management is also to have like customers. Because so we have this organization here where I have to pay everybody here in the company every month, which means I want customers and customers only come to us if we have a good product. So everybody here at Nextcloud is very incentivized to make our users and, and customers happy. This is something open source communities sometimes don't have. they just like do something for fun and they should it works for me, that's fine. If half the world complains that uh, the email client is bad, then who cares?
0: Yeah, And so that means that every open source project that wants to go big needs a CEO, essentially, right?
1: Um, I'm not really saying that. I'm not really saying that. I think there are pros and cons for both models. And there are some examples of like, pure open source projects where you don't have a uh, like a single vendor company behind it. I mean, the Linux kernel itself, right? The Linux kernel is just lots of companies and volunteers uh, like contribute together uh, and to make the Linux kernel great, but there is not a single company who owns it. There's no, pro- the Linux kernel doesn't have a product manager, right? There's also no business model behind the Linux kernel. So it's not really a company thing. So this can also work very well.
0: But I guess in terms of the Linux kernel, there are also very few people that are contributing uh, eighty, per, at least eighty percent of it, right? Um, I would, I would, I would assume at least. I didn't check it, but typically for mm. all of the, all of the bigger open source projects, or not only open source projects, but also company projects, you have like that very, very, very inner circle of of people that are contributing, contributing code, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean, this is always the case. I mean, this is doesn't matter if you, if it's the product done by a company or by a collaboration of different companies or as an open source project, of course, you always have the core people and then you have the people who are more working in the outer areas of the, of the product, maybe working on plugins or drivers or, QA and packaging and things, and you really you, you don't see, you don't see a lot of software where you have like I don't know a few hundred core developers. I mean, yeah. it's always a smaller circle. Yeah.
0: And especially for the modern open source projects, you often have that one contributor that um, really drives the the product. Right? Um, for example, I recently checked Drone IO. Um, I don't know if you know it. It's a de- deployment tool and the The founder of it was all over the place um or also other projects um which which came from the open source world they typically don't have that many contributions from from other developers but but mostly the the one who drives it
1: that's by the way uh um, a drawback of having an open source project basically controlled or dominated by a company um of course, it's a bit more complicated, it depends on the business model and the licensing and things, but one of the key things to have a big, happy community is that everybody should be on an equal playing field, right? I mean, there should be, have to have the same amount of control about the thing that's going on than everybody else, because who wants to be, I don't know, I don't want to, in my free time uh, help a company being successful without being paid. That's weird. Um, but if this is just a group of people and we are all like equal and we all benefit from everything, then I'm also helping myself because I use the software myself. Then why not? And this has something to do with then with the license. I mean, uh, we at Nextcloud we use the the AGPL license and we don't do any open core or dual licensing or other things. So basically, really, everybody is using the same software. It's really like paying customers and community people and developers. Everybody's using the same software, so we're all equal. And that's something that with the latest licensing discussion around, around Elastic and others, the company is grabbing a lot of control over the code, which is a good way to kill your community. And that's, uh, not, that's not good.
0: But, but if you look at the, the um, contributors at Elastic, you will see that the CEO, Shay Bannon, did like 80% of the commits at least.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> well, okay. maybe it's just maybe, good, right? Maybe, ride maybe, then. <laughs> the, <laughs> maybe, maybe the, the community was already dead before, so there's nothing to kill. Sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, going back to that, how does it work then to, to have a direction as an open source project, as a larger open source organization as yours, if everyone is, is equal, like how can you how can you then in a way um yeah outline a direction? How do you do product planning? How do you do future roadmap planning? How does it work?
1: Another big question. <laughs>
0: um
1: oh. At the end, it's this balance between have, having an open process where everybody can do what they want. But at the end of the day, we as a company, we also need to have a working product like always because that's what our customers are paying us for. So we need to balance those things. Um, There's so many things that are important for that. The first is... That the community and the company should have to share uh, the same vision the same goals and of course we have some with next we have some clearly defined goals because we want to enable people to host it themselves we want to protect their data we respect privacy uh, security usability so in overall our community really wants to have the same thing than our um, customers and also the next, next lot should work from very small installations to very big ones. So it's very important for us that Nextcloud that next, works on a raspberry PI for two users, but also for a big cluster for two million users. And it's the same code that's, that's very important. So if you have the same goals, then your community and your employees most likely walk in the same direction, but then. Another thing is that, and, and of course, so, we do... The, sorry, those, yeah.
0: those goals came from from yourself or how how did you initially come up with your values and, and your, your goals? Yeah, now
1: in this case, in the case of Nextcloud, they, they came from me because I did, like, well, the former project uh, called OwnCloud. This was something that I started. I also wrote 100% of the code of OwnCloud 1.0 which uh, <laughs> I'm very happy that none of the code survived. Um, it's really good. Um, but I mean, I, I started it, yes. So the original ideas, this was communicated by me, even in the initial announcement. This is about self-hosting, about privacy, security. That's this was, was the goals. yeah. I, I think it's important to have this kind of goals. Um, if you do... I don't know, some soul searching later on and trying to find your goals, then I don't know, then probably something is wrong because what did you do before finding your goals? I mean, you have to have goals.
0: Okay. And that is attractive for people or was attractive for people um, that then joined as developers and contributed to to your goals as well. Um, yeah. And did you pay them or?
1: No. No, so at the beginning it was just I uh, I was invited to speak at the con- it was actually a KDE conference at the time in in San Diego where I was invited to give a keynote and then I was like oh gosh I guess I have to speak about something interesting and I all, I'm, the, I'm the type of person who always have lots of ideas so I have my on my desktop here I have a text file I still have it with lots of ideas in it so I can I have ideas for. Startups for 20 lifetimes. So, no problem. <laughs> went through the list um, and I thought, okay, I have this keynote that I give and this is like in three months. So, I guess I have to talk about something interesting. Why don't I implement some of my ideas? And this was then well, the own cloud, the first version at a time. And then I announced it at a conference and then immediately press wrote about it and then I put it in a public repository and created a mailing list and then. Yeah, the first contributions really came in like a few days later, and then it was one person, three uh, people, five people, ten people. Then I invited like um, everybody to my office at the time to just like meet for a weekend and work on the code together. Yeah, then we had a meeting of five people. It was lots of fun and did a lot of things. And then uh, the next meeting, we had ten people, twenty people, fifty people, hundred people showed up. So it became bigger and bigger. And it was all unpaid. It was all unpaid. Only later, um, um, the idea happened that um, there can be a company around it, a startup.
0: And, uh, and that's like an interesting path from being a small open source project to being being part of the Bundescloud, as far as I've read, right? Um, that actually yeah. uh, the, the German government is using your, your cloud solution with with, I don't know, 300... Thousand users or something. Um, I mean, how did yeah. that add up?
1: <laughs> I mean, this happened over I don't know six seven years. Right, it didn't really happen immediately. So this was a there was a path to that. But it's true that if you always work on the next step, and I'm just the type of person who always like looks books the next step, the next step, next step. You sometimes. It's always helpful sometimes to like, take a step back and look at the big picture and thought, okay, there are like several big governments and big organizations all over the world using this weird software <laughs> that this group of friends uh, basically built together. And that's sometimes mind-blowing. Yeah.
0: Can you imagine? This episode is kindly supported by Fastly, the biggest challenger in the CDN market. Fastly is pushing ahead the technical boundaries and is, from my perspective, the best solution on the market. Fastly is known as one of the key drivers of the edge cloud movement. Well-known customers of Fastly are Shopify, The New York Times, Reddit, GitHub, and many, many more. If you want to try it all with first-class support, just go to fastly.com slash list. And what is then if you zoom out um, and uh, like... Look! Look! Five years in the future, what is what is what is happening then? <laughs> what is the big master plan? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the a big master plan. I mean, it's not it's it's not so different. I mean, the thing is that I I grew up. I'm not that young. Right? I'm like like mid forty. So I basically um, experienced the growth of the internet in the nineties, and it was all like a big big happy family, very decentralized uh, websites, emails, FTP, all kinds of decentralized services. And nowadays the world is really moving into very centralized services. Like Amazon is hosting half of the internet, uh, half the internet is using Gmail by Google, Google is the default search engine, social network, it's Is uh, is Facebook. Uh, The business world is dominated by Microsoft. So all these services are super centralized. Basically, a handful of companies are controlling all data, all communication, all applications of half of the planet. And that's something I'm not a big fan of. So my goals for forever was to try to decentralize the Internet again. And... um, yeah, this is something we want to achieve with NextCloud. So um, we already have like millions of users all over the world, like like I said, from small um, Raspberry Pis or use it in their company or university or government shop or go to a service provider. Yeah, and my goal is to do more of that. So hopefully we have, instead of one gigantic cloud service, um, we have like, I don't know, 10,000 small ones all running NextCloud or... Other software with similar um goals of as Nextcloud. This would be my goal.
0: Okay. Yeah, sounds sounds like a like a good plan at least. Um to, to reintroduce the, the the freedom of choice, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and um how how big is your company?
1: So we are like 55 people at the moment, I think, um, because we're <laughs> actually growing quite fast lately hired like 11 more people. And I have, uh, we talked about it earlier. I have like lots of job interviews because we have lots of open positions. So um, yeah, 55 people. Um, last year um, was again very good for us. So we, we doubled um, in order intake again last year the, year, the year before we also doubled. So um, yeah, the horrible situation with COVID-19 is in a very weird way. Um Good for us, um, because our software um can be used for remote work and home office and remote schooling and this kind of use cases. So it's um yeah, it's a good good thing for us from a business perspective, of course, it comes with the usual challenges. We're also suffering a bit as a team that we never can have a meet in person and a lot of things are not good, but yeah, the, the need for our software is growing.
0: And I, I think uh, there are other effects such as GDPR, Privacy Shield, and so on that actually make your stuff grow, right?
1: Yes, this is very interesting. Actually, just before this interview, we had like internal call where we discussed something in this area because like, Privacy Shield um, was killed last summer, um, which means it's storing your data in uh, in the US is no longer GDPR compliant of course this was a ruling of the the highest court in Europe which is a very abstract thing and i think the position of most companies and organizations was the last few months something like hmm interesting but let's see how it goes but it seems that a few a uh, few days or weeks ago um a university in Sweden actually basically um um was the first victim. So they stored um some of their internal private user data at box.com which is a US cloud provider, and now they got a fifty thousand euro fee um for doing that. Um that's interesting because now um this will happen more and more because um yeah it's Illegal to store your user data or customer data um, in at, at US cloud services at the moment. Um, it's just not GDPR compliant, which is the law in Europe. And um, yeah, organizations will they will have to pay uh, like a lot of money for doing that in the future. Which means there will be a strong demand of having something locally hosted um, or hosted in Europe, and then yeah the combination of nextcloud together with a service provider who offers nextcloud hosting yeah will become very very attractive very soon
0: so potentially it makes sense to found a google alternative then <laughs> in europe <laughs> and uh, come up with a lot of services right
1: i mean there are already there are already companies in europe who offer things i mean google does a lot of things. I mean, email, for example. There are independent small email email providers in Europe, and that's a good thing. Um, of course, they're suffering at the moment a little bit because they're just small and they don't have the, the scaling effect that the big ones have. And well Google is also running like the biggest advertising network in the world, right, which they can use and the email service to monetize it. And there's a combination which is hard. You can. It's hard to really compete. But um, I think this has uh, the potential to change a lot of things, and I actually like it not only because of Nextcloud, but because I think it will give a big boost to um, to the software industry and to IT in general and to cloud services in Europe, which I think is a good thing to compete with China and the US.
0: Which is then, in a nutshell. Similar to what what the bigger um, regions or countries do um, with with enforcing local solutions, right? Um, I mean, uh, it's it's just a bit more more of a Trojan horse, <laughs> I think, for that, but because it's really like rolling up slowly and so on. But but it's it's coming.
1: I think so. Of course, it's 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 a bit. It's a, it's a big question, right? In general, I really would like to see the world like working more together and, instead of less. So I'm not saying that, um, <laughs> I don't know, Europe should be independent from everything. Obviously, the internet should be a force that's available to everybody from every place. Um, but I think it's just a big problem if some areas have such a dominant position over others. And you see this in the, in the old economy too, right? Where you have like developing countries where they really have a problem with, with catching up to the, to the Western world or to to China, in all kinds of manufacturing and economic um, uh, areas, but um, in it, which is like my area, of course, the situation is just that, yeah. um, It's really dominated by, by us companies. Which I don't have a problem with US companies. I just think it should be, there should be more alternatives, should be less centralization.
0: Which is partly hard because um, uh, the US, for example, just is able, or in a lot of cases, is able to attract more developers. uh, And more developers um, these days is is a good thing to have, right? Um, More talent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
1: talent is is key. Yeah, but it's like there's a lot of talent outside the US. I mean, there's, I mean, we have like we have like people um, in Africa at the moment. There's a huge startup scene, lots of talented people. Um, They have they often have a problem with like finding interesting local jobs because there's a chicken egg problem, right? Because the companies don't have the jobs, don't have the economy, and then it's really hard to get out of this chicken egg problem but with the internet it has the the chance to give like get people in 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 underdeveloped areas getting them involved in in it maybe first as a community volunteer and then sl- later later um, getting a job out of it which um, yeah could could help
0: everybody yeah i mean if you just look at upwork for example i don't know if you use upwork um but there are like many talents all over the world um, that um, I think otherwise would have no chance to earn that amount of money uh, that they make out of upwork, right? Um and and they would just remain unseen. So I also think that this is a great thing. Um but um coming back to your 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 company, um do you actually pay developers then to to develop your stuff as well? I guess like part of your your employees are developers obviously, obviously but but um how about contributors that do good stuff do you do you sponsor them, them on github or
1: um, yeah i mean we have the two different kinds i mean employees are just paid as normal employees right and we're not paying like lower or smaller salaries because we're open source or something that's not the case we just have you pay like standard salaries because yeah that's how it should be Um, And then we have the volunteers and uh, we don't really pay them um, in money. Of course, we help them in other ways. For example, we um, help them with traveling. I mean, traveling (laughs) doesn't really exist at the moment, but um, a year ago when we still did our big conference in Berlin, then we just paid for the travel for contributors for all over the world to to, to come to Berlin and meet in person we pay them for food and hotel and all kinds of things and also if they're i don't know if they need something we we can we can help them of course but um we don't really i mean we either pay them like normal um salaries if then they' employees or their contributors um and then we don't pay them in money we don't there is no status where you like somehow are half paid or something I think this is not not a good thing
0: but you every once in a while then spot a volunteer that has a lot of potential and ask him to become your employee or
1: yeah yeah, yeah. that's something we do all the time um it's actually relatively easy for us to hire people because we have this very big active community and every time i'm i, I need someone new um like like i said at the moment we are hiring just a, looking for I don't know, 10 more people in the development area, I can really go to call community contributors and ask, hey, what do you do for fun? How do you want to be paid to do the same? Um, so that's quite, uh, quite easy for us. And also another thing is that this community is like um, all over the world, right? It's like totally distributed all over the world. And... As an open source project, it's like obviously um, built in a way that this works. You can work from different time zones, different languages, different cultural backgrounds. It doesn't really matter. Everybody can be part of it. And because of that, our company is also built like that. So we can actually hire people all over the world. A lot of old economy companies still require that new employees are in the same city or something, which uh, then is hard. But we have people all over the world and that's, yeah, looks good for us.
0: And and how do you synchronize? I mean, is there is there a moment of synchronization or is it all asynchronously?
1: I think it depends on the job. Um, if you're in development, um, and then uh, we use GitHub for, um, for the software development. And there we have like 100% uh, asynchronous uh, processes. The whole thing that we, how we work, which is very common i think with uh, pull requests and code reviews and stuff like that tickets is um it's completely asynchronous it doesn't really matter in what
0: time so no no send no send ups or nothing nothing scrum scrummy
1: um at least not textbook scrum no we have some things where i think some ideas are good for example, we do time-based releases, release often, release early, um, and some other things where we follow Scrum ideas, but yeah, other ideas like the like all these meetings, all these stand-ups, we don't really do that now. I mean, there we have calls. I mean, sometimes when we do feature planning or, I don't know, um, UI review sessions or something where we have like real calls and then everybody's invited, the whole community is invited to participate and but that's 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 not mandatory, right? If you're really in a completely different time zone, I mean we have people in in Hawaii, right? that's like the other side of the planet, <laughs> so um it's hard to participate in calls. This is valid voluntarily. but what I said what I say earlier, this is development this is easy because we have other things like sales or marketing where you really really want to be in the same time zone than the customer or the journalist um in there um it's a bit more complicated in these areas we have a lot of the most people are in uh, are in europe at the
0: moment okay
1: um because this is also where we do most of our sales
0: and you also have an office and so on
1: um we have two offices we have two um, an office in stuttgart and one in berlin but both are quite small i think we have six or seven people in each office and everybody else is from from home um so we have a lot of marketing and also a lot of salespeople working from home um that's fine that's that's we have the process for that but the time zone is like more critical there i mean yeah. <laughs> customers want to have phone calls and um yeah you should be able to do that uh,
0: maybe maybe one step back um to, to developers or let's say a distributed organization one thing I think can be challenging is actually salaries right um i mean, is someone working in the ukraine should he earn a ukraine salary or should he earn a german salary um Do you have a strategy for that or uh, like a, a concept
1: another big question you're yeah, very good big, good question <laughs> i i don't have a i don't have a full concept for that no it's of course one of the challenges yeah so um yeah salaries are not the same it's it, it's just not i mean you have people working from the u.s and have a completely different salary and um, structure than another employee from us is in africa as i said that's really different in general we try to in all cases pay them like average or above average. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it depends on a lot of factors. I don't have a good, uh, strategy to, <laughs> for that because it also has something to do with like also how, because as I said, we don't have any big fancy investors. So we also rely on, um, how, um, how it goes on the business side. Um, then we have more flexibility with salaries, but yeah, no, I don't have a I don't have a very good fleshed out strategy for that.
0: So no data driven, no data driven payments or anything um, where you. <laughs> yeah, I mean you can look at the base mm. salaries in the countries and look at how how salaries go up and down, and um, how you can do auto increase and stuff like that. I recently like think about it a lot, um, and, and I I I'd like it to, in a way have a, have a structure where you're obviously measured on your performance and, and also paid on behalf of your performance. Uh, but your salary, for example, automatically increases every year so that you don't have to negotiate. And I mean, inflation is always there, right? So, um, why should you always have that moment of that awkward moment of shame when you discuss salaries? Um, and if, if you, if you, if you, if you were acting in a good way, um, that is uh, in a way a bit strange, right?
1: <laughs> that's an interesting. That's an interesting idea that you somehow look at uh, average salaries in the different regions and automatically adjust to that somehow if it goes up or down. Yeah, that's it's uh, interesting. It's very computer scientist an answer to that.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> even, better, even better would be to, to, to build a neural network. To people
0: well. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And, and the, the biggest problem is that everyone, if everyone does it, um, it, it won't work out anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like automatic trading. Uh, it also just works out as long as there are people that are manually trading. <laughs> <laughs> True. So copy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, let's let's um, go one step further uh, towards open source. So would you? I mean, open source became pretty much the playground of the big boys from my perspective. So a lot of a lot of uh, Google, a lot of Amazon, a lot of uh, a lot of big corporates that that come up with open source projects that uh, sponsor open source projects. Is it still possible if I decide now? I want to do something on my own as an open source project and I want to earn, make a living out of it. Do you think it's, it's it's way harder than five years ago or 10 years ago when you started or.
1: I think, I think making a living with an open source based product is easier now than a few years ago because it's better understood like by everybody by the founders, by the developers, marketing, investors, customers. So this is easier. The real challenge is, of course, still to find an interesting um, like niche where um, where there's the need for a product like that, because you can't do everything with open source. Right, The open source is just suitable for some types of products. If you if you want to build the next TikTok or I don't know then um, yeah it's there's no place for open source because this is a centralized service by nature. But if you want to do something in the middleware, some 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 system in the infrastructure stack somewhere, then it has to be open source. Right, there's no lot of few proprietary pieces in the in the in the cloud stack nowadays. So this depends a bit how to find the good spot, but overall I think open source is better understood, which is a good thing. I, I still remember like 15 or 20 years ago, where um, a lot of companies were just afraid of the GPL. That's all this is viral, this viral, uh, this, <laughs> this viral um, license. And once we use a software, that is GPL license, then it somehow like jumps to the next system and next system and then, A little bit later, everything is like open source. And then another few days later, you have communism in your company or something. I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) and all kinds of weird, weird, weird ideas. And I think this is over, right? I mean, everybody's using GPL software, open source software in the organization. Now and people understand it's a good thing, it's not, not at all a problem.
0: Okay. Then I want you to give us three tips. Um for, for being successful in open source. So if I start now, what would be your, your three life-changing tips then? (laughs)
1: Life-changing tips. So, I mean, I think one of the big benefits of open source is that you can, have a, a community, a contributor community. And I mean, really contributor a lot of companies think that users are also communities. I really think contributors are really communities. I would really think hard if this is possible to build up. I think this is one of the key factors. I mean, if you look at like the the big successful open source companies, I mean, SUSE, uh, Red Hat, even um, Elastic until recently, or, or uh, Mongo and all the others. They all benefit from their big, uh, community around it. And without a community, there would be nothing, right? I mean, nowadays they have a lot of money and they can do their own marketing. At the beginning, they had no resources and only because of the community that they, they became successful. So if I would find something new, I would really think how to build up this community as part of it. Um, and then as a result of that, I would think about the license a lot because a lot of people think that licenses are just boring, something for lawyers, and I don't know. But at the end, the license is just basically the guidelines who can do what with your software. And that's something you really should think about very hard. It's the balance of power, basically, inside your community. And um, if you balance this well, it can be awesome for everybody. And if it's not balanced, then it can be, yeah, Bad for both sides. So I would really look into that, the, how to build a community and the license.
0: And is, is there an, a license finder or something where I can just hit a few buttons and then get the perfect license out? Or <laughs> I mean, there has to be like <laughs> a license know. database, right? Uh, do I want yeah, others yeah, to yeah. charge uh, money for my service or not? And stuff like that. <laughs> like a decision exactly, tree. <laughs> exactly.
1: It. it pro- I don't know. It probably exists. But it's not so easy because this all is like, It's, it all has has something to do with the type of software you do, right? If you do, if you have a user facing application, like Nextcloud, it's really different than if you're middleware or really different. If you, if it's something that is like, uh, um, that you offer cloud hosting, or it's about self-hosting, or there are so many different things. And if you're B2B or B2C and so many different things to consider. And, and the, and the license is a result of that in my opinion, so it's unfortunately Complicated and yeah, really part of the good business plan,
0: okay, understood, so those were two tips, so I'm still missing one <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, another thing um, something something that I see a lot in in German startups or like companies and startups I know, which always irritates me a bit is um, that it seems that like 90% of the conversations I hear uh, is about, hey, how to find the next awesome investor and how to find, how to do the next financing round and how to do, it's really about talking a lot about investors and and, and investment, which I always find a bit weird because I think the main focus of, of, of founders should be to build a working business model. And not just on paper, everybody can do that, but really test it in the market, like work with real customers, charge them real money, and then see how it's how it scales and how you can be able to pay your team with the money you can charge the customers because they want to have your product and they really want to buy it. This is like the, the key of everything. And once you have figured this out. Like something that works and that's tested, and you um you have some customers who actually come to you and say, "Yes, what you're doing is so good that I'm paying money for that, then you can use investment to accelerate that and to make it bigger and scale it big, but don't make the mistake to think that the money comes from the investors, the money comes from the customers the investors are just like a like a a turbo that you can, uh, an accelerator that you can use to grow faster than organically, but don't, the, the money doesn't come from the bank or the investors. That's just,
0: that's something that's not good. A lot of founders think about selling straight away as well. Right. Uh, so w- yeah. w- w- would you, would <laughs> yeah. you, would you ever sell next cloud? Yeah.
1: Even, even worse. Yeah. So, um, no, no, this is like, uh, There was the opportunity at some point to, I don't know, sell it to someone big and have a nice job in middle management of an IT company in the US, and that's that's just not my goal. I mean, if this would have been the goal, I would have done this for a long time already. But the goal is, as I said in the beginning, um, I really want to have build something that helps a decentralized the internet that provides security and privacy to users. And Also, personally, I want to have a job that's fun. I want to work together with my friends, uh, nice colleagues, and learn and build something great together. So that's that's my goal. I'm, I think I'm a very, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I like to, I'm I'm good startup guy somehow because I really like the work. For me, the goal is not to sell it as fast as possible because I really like the work. And I find it a bit weird when people already start to think about the big exit um, before you have even built up something.
0: You know that I'm good with uh, big questions, so I still have a little surprising closing question for you, Frank. Um, (laughs) So uh, one of your contributors actually told me about a little Easter egg that he built into the latest NextCloud app. Um, And I now open it up on my iPhone um, and... um, you see, this is the time machine feature and uh, I just have to hit this button here and now we're moving back in time uh, to go to exactly the, the time 10 years ago when you initially founded OwnCloud um, and were VC backed and so on and you were like writing your first services. Um, we can, we can observe, you, observe you now for a while and um, now we get the chance to whisper just one sentence into your ears what would it be?
1: (laughs) Okay. So basically what, what would I say to my, to my past self? Right. Um, (laughs) I would say, um, be, be careful with what team you found. You found a company. I would say make sure you're reading all the contracts (laughs) (laughs) sounds obvious, right? But yeah, you know how it is. Um, And um, yeah, really think about all consequences of all decisions. Um,
0: Be careful.
1: (laughs) be Be careful. Exactly. Be careful because there are a lot of things in life where you can later change your strategy and opinion, but when founding a company, not so much.
0: Okay. Understood. Um, So Frank, thanks a lot. Um, Thanks a lot for your time. And um, I now like really want to just buy a raspberry pi and um, install nextcloud <laughs> on it <laughs> or potentially or potentially introduce it at my company so um let's see i have to check it out and um yeah thanks a lot for your time and uh, hope to to talk again soon
1: absolutely thanks a lot bye bye
0: Thanks again to our sponsors Fastly and the About You Cloud. If you want to know more about Fastly services, simply visit fastly.com slash alphalist. If you want to get in touch with About You and hear more about the About You Cloud, simply write to hello at aboutyou.com. Thanks a lot.